Thanks for listening to the High Street Young Adults Podcast. For more information and how to get connected, check out highstreet.org slash youngadults. I'm glad that you're here. My name is Jared. I'm the Young Adults Pastor here at High Street, and I just want to welcome you, say that we're glad that you're here with us this morning. Hey, tonight we're going to continue in our relationship series as we talk about how to guard your heart. If you've got your Bible with you, open it up to Proverbs 4. Uh, We're going to be reading verse 23 to start off from, and we'll be kind of all over the place tonight. So if you've got a notebook, keep some notes. Uh, See where we're going. If there's a verse that stands out to you, write it down, circle it. Uh, But all the, the notes will be on the screen. All those verses will be on the screen as we kick off tonight. So I'm going to go ahead and read Proverbs 4, verse 23, and this is the, the NIV, the New, English, the New International Version that says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Uh, in the late 1400s, there was a guy named Ponce de Leon that, that uh, sailed ships with uh, Christopher Columbus. And he made a couple of trips with him and, and he would uh, check out like South America and the Dominican Islands and some of those things. And he, he was kind of the governor of Puerto Rico before it was called Puerto Rico for a little bit. But he kind of had this thing where he was like moving from spot to spot and th- there wasn't ever really an explanation why until after he had passed. Um, but the place that he kind of landed uh, in like 1515 uh, was like St. Augustine, Florida was where he kind of landed. And he started kind of building his city and started building a little bit. And nobody really understood why. He was the governor in Puerto Rico and he seemed like he was more of an explorer then. Well, when he got to St. Augustine, he started to kind of build a little bit better and nobody really understood why. The reason that St. That Augustine, the reason that Ponce de Leon started to build in St. Augustine was because he believed that he had found the fountain of youth, that his reasoning, and they found his journals after he had passed, but his reasoning, was he was looking for this fountain that people like Alexander the Great were looking for in fourth century BC, they, they were looking for this fountain that if you bathed in it, old men would become young, young old women would stay young looking, that it would be this kind of source of youth for all time and that you may not pass away. Well, I already kind of gave the, the end of the story away. He died about seven years after he found this fountain of youth. So there's kind of some, some joke about that. But it's also kind of funny because it's in Florida, and that's like America's basement that all the old people go to for retirement. So it's just kind of a funny thing. Um, but he believed that this place was the fountain of youth, that all life would flow from it. So he started building around it. And he's like, listen, if this is going to be what keeps me alive, if this is what's going to be my source of income, I'm going to build around it. This is going to be something that I want to keep forever for a long time. So he starts to build around it. I, I, just thinking through this idea, like if you had this source of something, like you have ever heard the phrase like money doesn't grow on trees, like if you found a money tree, if you found this thing that just produced money, like oh, I need something, I'll just go grab a couple of hundies and we'll be good to go, like you would protect that thing at all costs. Like you would build your house around it, you would build high fences, you would make sure that nothing came in to spoil that thing that gave you the thing that you wanted most, Right? Well, the Bible is saying here in Proverbs 4, it says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. That's what it says in the NIV. In the ESV, it says it this way, if you put that up. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance, vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. 
It's a spring of life. And the Bible has a lot to say about the heart. In Jeremiah, it says that it's deceitful above all else. That we're supposed to guard it. In, in uh, Matthew and Luke, Jesus says that from the heart, the mouth speaks. That the heart is this really important thing. That it's connected with our mind, but it's really kind of the deepest part of who we are. And, and really what he's talking about here is this deep sense of self. It's this deep thing that can be influenced from the outside in if we're not careful. It's, just, it's not just morals, but it it's your traits, it's your things that you are at the deepest sense of yourself. And when we talk about guarding your heart, the idea is kind of a tough one because you're in church, you're expected to hear a couple of rules. If you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen to last week's message on God's design for sex because God has a good design for sex and it's a freeing design. It's not a constrictive design. So when we hear about guarding your heart to keep it with all vigilance, like is it a constrictive thought? Is God's design for you and your relationships to be constrictive and tight and make sure that you don't have any fun, that good things don't happen to you? Is that God's design? Because I think all of us want good relationships. We want healthy relationships. Even if, you, if you're like, man, I'm, I'm not even planning on being married. I'm a single person. I'm planning on that. God wants you to still have good relationships. Keeping your heart, guarding your heart, is still letting you be a wellspring of life to the people around you. Very much so. That all of us want good, healthy, comforting relationships, life-giving relationships, exhilarating, exciting relationships. I don't know if I've ever met a person that's like, I just want less from life, right? Everybody wants more. Everybody wants something from life. But I think if you look at culture, and if you look at what happens from the outside in, we're told to do that through, hey, you just, you, you give all of your body to someone you give all of your heart to someone. You give all of your mind to someone. You give your, all of your emotion to someone. See if it works. And if it does, move in together. And if, it, if that works, get married. Maybe. We'll see. People are getting married later and later. People are having kids later and later. Most people are not even getting married. I mean, if you look at statistics where in the 70s, 7 out of 10 people in their 20s were married, now it's like 2 out of 10 people the divorce rate's as high as it's ever been in and outside of the church, that we all want good relationships, but how do we have them? If we're honest, the way that we start to have relationships right now is confusing. It's difficult. It's not clear. The Bible doesn't specifically talk through dating. I would argue it does in Song of Solomon. If you want to read that, it's really interesting. But how do we go ahead and have good relationships? Because I think if you've been in especially like a, like a significant other relationship, boyfriend, girlfriend, dating, married, like things can get confusing fast, right? Uh, my wife Tyler is not here tonight, but she's watching. She's in South Carolina visiting her sister. But we were talking through this and we were like, we dated for a long time. I would not suggest the way we did it to anybody. We started dating when we were 17 and 16 years old. We didn't know a thing. Uh, and we dated all the way through college and then got married the year after I graduated. It was tough. We didn't know anything. We, we probably did it wrong more than we did it right. Um, th there were things that we did that were like, man, I wish I could go back and not do it that way. Some of the things I think that we did is, uh, I'm going to describe some of the failures that we do. Not necessarily physically, but some of the ones that we have emotionally. Um, we emotionally dump on people. That's the emotional like. You, you just, you back up the dump truck, like you got a lot going on, and you just emotionally just back that dump truck up and let everything loose on somebody. Yeah, I've been there, I've done that. Uh, we have the, the, you're my best friend, you're my only friend 
mentality like, why would I spend any time with anybody else if you are my best friend? You are my soulmate. You are the one. I don't need anybody else. Um, When we dated, she's a year younger than I am. So when I graduated high school, I started community college. I did two years there. So there was one year, my second year of community college, her first year at Missouri State. We were doing that long distance thing, and that was always tough. But when I came to Missouri State my junior year, I was like, listen, I'm, I'm here. I haven't seen you consistently. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be at your apartment every day. I'm going to just show up after work. I'm going to show up after school. And there came a time where she said, I need you to go do something else. I need you to leave I need you to go find someone and do something and annoy them instead of annoying me. Um, I think we end up kind of leading each other on in ways that we maybe didn't intend to. Uh, I was talking to somebody and they were like, man, I I went on a date with somebody. I was like three dates in and they were like, man, I'm going to a a wedding shower. Uh, What would you do at your wedding shower? And, you know, the other person was like, I, I would, you know, I'd do this. And then the other person's mind started racing of like, he must be thinking about marriage when he thinks about me. And we end up kind of putting this big emotional weight on someone before there's any emotional muscle. And like we argued last week that we see in the Bible that physical intimacy is meant to live under the canopy of marriage, sacrifice, service, sanctification. That that covenant that says, hey, I am with you, I am for you, and I am not going anywhere, that's not just meant for physical intimacy, that's meant for emotional, spiritual intimacy that you would have with another person. That we end up, I, I, I tell the story of, of like when I tell, you know, my life story that I, I, I explain to people that I went to school in St. Louis, I transferred here, and Tyler was a year younger than me, so I, I, I tell everybody, I chased her down here because I wanted her to marry me. And that's no joke. That's the truth. But like what I didn't tell her was like, hey, I'm coming to Springfield and I'm gonna get a ring on that finger because it was gonna be at least three years. So I was like, listen, there's no good in telling this before I can actually do anything about it. That I think we end up putting an emotional weight on somebody before there's any emotional muscle. And if you know anything about muscles, you know that, that there's incremental growth, there's weight growth. You gotta have reps and you gotta have commitment to it. When I was like 17, uh, my brother was working out a ton and he was like getting big and I was like, listen, I've always been 135 pounds, not anymore, but like through high school, I was always 130 pounds and I was like, listen, this is the year. I'm going to get ripped, okay? It's just, it's going to happen. So my brother was like buying creatine, you know, protein powder, all this stuff and I was like, I'm in. I'm buying the protein powder. I'm not going to be that skinny fat guy anymore. I'm just going to be I'm going to be, I'm going to get cut, okay? It's it's just what's going to happen. So I started working out with my brother a couple days a week, taking creatine, doing some stuff. And I was like, I'm not going to be 135 pounds anymore. I'm going to get big. And it had been like six weeks or or eight weeks or something. And I was like not seeing any different. I was just sore all the time. Like I tell people that's why I don't work out. Like people are like, oh, my delts are sore because I was working out. I'm like, my delts are never sore because I never work out. But in that season, I was like, I was always sore. I was always miserable. And I was like, all right, here comes the scale time. You ready to see me hit 150? It's going to happen. And I stepped on the scale and I lost three pounds. I was like, I'm done. It's not happening anymore. And I gave up and I stopped working out my junior year of high school. I had no commitment to it. That I think sometimes we assume with especially emotional intimacy, I need to connect with you on an emotional level. And then all the other things, I need to make sure that we're compatible in that arena. That we need some incremental things. We need some little things. Like uh, Noah Comstock came over and helped me move something uh, the other day, a piece of furniture. And uh, I don't know if you've ever like, tried to lift something and it's a lot heavier than you assumed that it was. And you're like, okay, this couch should not be heavier than what I can lift. But it is. Um, and, and 
we're trying to move, we have a couple friends who just moved and we're trying to move a, stuff off the edge of a tailgate and it's like, listen, my idea is me getting the tailgate and push it off on you and that was a good way to get it out of the, out of the truck. Heavy weights all at one time is not a good idea. And I'm sure you've been there with somebody that they're like, hey, can we, can we grab coffee about this thing? And then you meet with them and maybe you've been dating this person for three weeks and you get that phone call that this person just spiritually, emotionally vomits on you. Everything that's going on and you're like, I, we're three dates in and I think I like you. I'm not 100% sure. I don't know how to handle everything that just came out of your face, right? And that's what happens with us. Or, or maybe you have someone that you're like, I, I don't... I like this person, I'm gonna spend time with this person, and you really like that person, so you spend more time with that person, and that other person is like, and I like you, I don't know, and you're like, and then you see that other person like spending time with people, other stories on Instagram, and you're like, I thought we were like a thing, but nobody ever clarified that. That's the world we live in. There, there are some confusing things that happen in relationships and dating that I don't think that God wants us to live in because here's, here's the danger in, in all of that. We can laugh about it, we joke about it, and it is, I mean, it's, it's amusing, but at a certain point, God is saying, hey, I want you to not just let your heart go out and attach to people and then get ripped off because what happens when you rip off is you connect with that person at a deep level and you rip off and our hearts weren't meant to do that. Our hearts weren't meant to connect with someone at a deep level, whether that's spiritually, physically, emotionally, and then all of a sudden, ah, I'm not there for you anymore. And sometimes I think in the church, we just speak to physical intimacy, and we say, hey, don't have sex before you're married. I'm going to make a line on the screen, and everything above the line is good. Everything below the line, don't do it. And we go, okay, there's the line. How far is too far? Where God is saying, hey, with all diligence... All of it. Like if I'm being diligent about something, I'm on it. I'm on the ball. I'm going to let you know. I'm going to keep bothering you until, he's in with all diligence, keep it. Protect it. The idea there of a keep is a stronghold, a safe. To guard it, to build around it so that nothing can damage it. When you think of that idea of a well, of a spring, if I had a cup of water, said, anybody want this cup of water? Somebody might be thirsty. And I said, hey, there's just a little bit of rat poison in there. It does not take much to ruin our hearts. It doesn't take much to make our hearts shift and change and not be what they were intended to be. And I think we end up walking around with all of these deep connections that we've had with people where there's no commitment, no incremental growth. There's this emotional weight that we put on people without that commitment without the emotional muscle being figured out. I was talking to Tyler about this, and one of the things that she, she, she said, but we didn't really talk about, was like, when we got married, we did not have it all figured out. We did not know all the, all the deep levels of physical and emotional intimacy when we got married. What we've been through in the last six years, I, I couldn't have told you some of the things that we were gonna walk through. But what marriage is, is that commitment to, hey, whatever happens, I'm here with you, I'm here for you. And a lot of times we end up connecting with someone in a deep way and then going, uh, actually, I'm not there for you. And it rips part of our heart away and it hurts. And I just want you to know before we move on, before we get into how we can have health and how we can have success in this area, 
what we talked about last week, if, if you've messed up in this area, God loves you. This is not meant to be a message where you would hear it and go, well, let me just tell you all the ways that I've screwed up. No one in this room is perfect, myself being the chief. But God loves you. God forgives you. Seriously, God forgives you. And he heals you and he grows you and he turns you towards other people so that you can point to them and say, hey, I didn't have this right, but God will redeem things. That if that's you, I hope that when we move forward, you're not just thinking through like, man, I have messed so much of this up. I don't even get to hear this. This isn't even for me. It is for you. God has life for you. Uh, the analogy that I think through, uh, this is like an old man phrase, so forgive me for just thinking this way, but uh, I love the phrase, put the cart in front of the horse. Like, you're putting the secondary thing in front of the primary thing. Like, whenever you would put a cart in front of a horse, that, that cart would go off sideways. I don't know if you've ever tried to back a trailer in and, and you've, you've jackknifed it and it's been awful, but like, when you put the cart in front of the horse, it's not gonna work out well. And I think that's what we do when we have this intimacy before we have commitment. Um, And I want to talk about four ways that we have fixed, that we can fix through what God has for us, the cart in front of the horse. Uh, I want to frame it this way. In Romans 12, verse 18, he says, as much as it depends on you, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, I I love this because there's not many prepositional phrases in the Bible, and that's a really good thing, but this one, there's a couple. So, if possible, that there are gonna be some scenarios that it's gonna be really tough to live peaceably with people. There might be some scenarios that you've already messed up with someone that they may not be able to live peaceably with you, but if possible, you need to live peaceably with them. So far as it depends on you. That means if you were wronged 95%, you own your 5%. That for me, some of these things is like, I, I need to call somebody and tell them, man, I, I said some things to you that were hurtful. I said some things that I, I, I backed up that emotional dump truck and I just landed it all on you and that wasn't fair. I was emotionally manipulative in a certain way and I, I need to apologize for that. Now, in that apology, we're not, we're not going, hey, here's my 5%. Oh, okay, no, 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 hey, we just, we're obedient to what God's word says. If possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And that includes the people that you're dating. One of my favorite stories is a guy that I know uh, wanted to ask this girl out. He, he heard her story. He, he was interested in her. He was like, she's cute. I like her. I'm just going to ask her out on a date. He asked her out on a date. He was like, man, it went awesome. It was cool. So he, he called her afterwards and said, hey, I, I loved that date. I had a ton of fun. I would love to keep taking you out on dates to get to know you a little bit better. And she said, hey, that, thank you so much. You really honored me in the way that we treated our, our date, but I'm not interested. And he was sad, and he was really bummed, right? But because they were clear with each other, and because as much as it depended on both of them, they could live peaceably with all, and they could honestly, and this is one of the things that I think is just a drastic change from what our culture knows, is that both of them could point to their friends and say, hey, I wasn't for me, but you know who you should date is this person. And that's rare. Why? Because as much as it depended on them, they lived peaceably. Are you living peaceably with the people around you? Your dating relationships, in the people that you like, the way that you, you involve with people online, are you living peaceably as much as it depends on you? The next piece is, is a little bit hard to read, 
okay? And, and I just, I want to read it, and I want to tell you what, I, what it means, and I want you to just, that just sit on you. It's First Timothy 5, 1 and 2, and it says, do not rebuke an older man, and this is, he's talking to like, hey, this is how you treat people. Don't rebuke an old man. Encourage him as you would a father. Young men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters. So the Bible really has a couple qualifications for how we treat each other. It's not like, hey, if you're dating somebody, take the training wheels off. Treat them however you want. Do, do things that you wouldn't normally do. It says, hey, treat young men as brothers. Treat young women as sisters. Now, I'm not going to tell you anything that you don't probably already know. If you have a brother or sister, there are things that you would and you would not do with them. You would not push them to do things. You would not emotionally disrupt them in a way that's not fair to them. And then he flips the script in a little bit and talks about, hey, husbands and wives. That if there's someone that is not your husband, that is not your wife, treat them as a brother or a sister. And this is tough because everything around us says, hey, treat people, you know, whatever you can get out of it, however you see fit. Hey, listen to your heart, follow your heart. But the Bible has a way so that we can look at each other and say, hey, as much as it depended on me when it was possible, I lived peaceably. That the Bible doesn't want us to have a trail of people behind us that we left in difficult scenarios, broken relationships, that God wants us to be able to live peaceably with all. So the first way that we don't put the cart in front of the horse is to be content, is to be content. When we're not content, like I, I, that may, and I'll just speak from my personal experience. When I'm not content, I am looking at anything and everything to fulfill the ways that I'm not content. I'm like, I, I, I want you to make me happy. I want to see what I can get out of you that my selfishness and my pride turns into overdrive. And I'm like, man, I'm just, I get this restlessness. Earlier in Timothy, he says that there's much godliness to be with contentment. In Philippians 4, he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation that I am to be content. In the next verse, he says that he practiced it. That word content, it's easy to look at somebody and go, man, that dude's just happy doing whatever. Like, he's happy whether he's doing well, doing poor. Like, that's, that's great for him. But Paul is arguing here, man, I have learned. This was not he just had this innate ability to be content. He learned it. He practiced it. In what ways can you practice contentment? Can you take an audit of the ways that, man, okay, I'm not content. Why am I not content? What expectation, what hope did I have that's not being met? Because God doesn't want you to be uncontent, but he wants us to practice it. But part of that practicing, anybody watch the Chiefs game yesterday? Like three Chiefs fans, all right, this is going to go well, this next story. Patrick Mahomes is our quarterback. He won the MVP a couple years ago, like incredible quarterback. I don't think he got to be incredible by showing up to practice and going like, all right, let's practice handoffs. No, no, I think he practiced by saying, I'm going to try new things that I've never done before. I'm going to stretch myself. I'm going to do some difficult things that nobody else will try. That's practice. He showed up day after day and said, hey, these are the things I'm not good at. Part of that was just being honest with himself, saying, I'm going to try something new in an area that I'm not good at right now. 
In your contentment, how can you learn and practice in this season? If you're single, ready to mingle, hey, learn to be content where you're at. And this is a side note. I don't think you're going to find it in the Bible. A content person is an attractive person for the most part. Like, I don't think people are looking for people that are like, man, that dude's always complaining. That's kind of nice to be around. No, people want people that are like, man, that dude, I've seen some bad stuff happen to him and him not get his way, and he's still okay. And not that we would just be okay, but that we would have the peace of God that transcends all understanding in us because of Jesus, because of Christ. And I think we have to battle this idea that someone else or looking for the one, or this deep connection with someone, or this physical connection with someone, is what's going to fully complete us. I I think it's so easy to get distracted by things out there that say, man, if you meet the right person, everything will click, it'll fall in line, it'll be perfect. Like I said, when when Tyler and I got married, we didn't know what we were getting into. But what we did know is that we had commitment. We didn't have to try out everything before we got married because we knew, listen, I'm going to commit to whatever that looks like so that post-wedding day, that's when the real growth started to happen. That's when we started to learn about each other. Be content now. How can you be content in this season? The second thing. Know what God has for you. To know what God has for you. So you're not looking for it somewhere else. Know what God's promises have to say in the Bible. Know the hope that he says that he'll give you. Know what God has for you in the terms of community. In terms of other people around you. One of the ways that I think we actively combat backing up the emotional dump truck and putting an emotional weight on somebody that's not meant for, I think we need people around us. That it should not be your significant other that you're not married to, that man, something goes wrong and you run to them as fast as you can. Dating somebody for six weeks, you're gonna be like, what, now what's the problem? Why are you freaking out about this? That our response should be God. Our community And then somewhere down the line, that person that we're involved with. That somewhere along the line, we got confused and said, well, if we're going to be doing this in marriage, I should start now. And we just back that dump truck up. And then we're wondering why that person couldn't handle it. Know what God has for you right now. I'm going to read Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit, what happens when God is dwelling in you. The the Bible talks about how when, when we become followers of Christ, the spirit of God, like the fullness of him comes and dwells in our hearts. The fruit of the spirit, that what grows out of that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things that God says, hey, I want to give you if you'll rest in me if you'll know what I have for you, if you know me at a deep level. The third thing is master your feelings because they point to your heart. Master your feelings because they point to your heart. If you see it in a linear fashion, it would be your heart leads to your feelings, 
leads to your actions. And your actions can have some effect on your heart. There's no doubt about that. But your feelings should be an indicator of what's going on in your heart. Jonathan McClutus says it this way. Feelings are real, but they're not reliable. That you kind of need to do an audit of your feelings. Man, when this person has some shortcomings, I get angry. When this person doesn't meet the need that I have, I don't see myself as how I can help that. I go, why is that bothering me so much? So that we know how we can take things to God. One of the little side pieces in here is I think we need to know what's your heart diet? What are you feeding your heart? Proverbs 23, 17 and 18 says, let not your heart envy sinners. Envy, feeling, right? I see something that you have and I want it. That's envy. Man, I wish I was in your spot. But it says, let not your heart envy sinners. What are your influences? What is being poured into your heart? That some of those things just end up being reactionary. I get home, I put my stuff down, I get something to drink, I turn on Netflix. That's what's being poured into your heart. I wake up, I turn off my alarm, I open Instagram. That's what's being poured into your heart. I would challenge you. I was challenged. In seasons, I'll try to like delete my social media or just delete the apps off my phone. And you kind of have that, maybe it's just me, but I have that like muscle memory of like, oh, I've got a minute. I'll open, oh, it's not there anymore. And I was like, man, I'm gonna trick myself and I'm gonna put my Bible app there. Like I'm gonna Jesus juke myself and see what happens. And I was like, man, I'm, I'm opening the Bible app. This is awesome. What are you feeding yourself? Because I think sometimes we go, man, I'm trying. I realized what was wrong. I'm trying to be content. I'm trying to fill my mind with, I'm reading the Bible more than I ever have. I'm reading it, you know, 30 minutes a day. But what else is being input? For a season about two years ago, my wife and I tried the keto diet, where you take off anything that's like sugar and carbs, and you just don't eat them. And there was about a week where I was like, I'm just angry. I, like, I don't, I, there's nothing I can eat. I'm hungry all the time. I don't know how to do this diet well. I'm hungry. I'm just angry. But I had to take away those bad things that were influencing me at a deep level that I didn't even really think about. How are you guarding your heart with the things that influence you? What are you watching? What are you listening to? Every once in a while I have to catch myself. What's, what's scary about having kids that can talk is that they'll repeat things that they hear in a song and you're like, I didn't even realize that was in the song. And I'm like, man, how callous has my heart gotten that I was listening to that song, singing that song, and I was like, oh man, I need to be careful. Because when you think about it in your children and you hear a four-year-old say a word that you're like, oh, I wish they wouldn't have heard that. I wish they wouldn't have repeated that. I want that for myself. I want to guard my heart. I want to guard my wife's heart. I want to protect the people around me in a way that honors God, that respects God and says, God, you have something better and greater for us. I'm just going to ask. I'm not going to stay here long. Is one of those inputs pornography? It will wreck not just your heart, It'll wreck things that have to do with your heart. 
God has so much more for you. God loves you. He forgives you. He wants to heal you. He wants to grow you. And he wants to turn you towards other people so that you can have healing. That last step of turning towards, towards other people so that you can have healing doesn't happen without an honest conversation with someone to say, hey, I have struggled with this. I need your help. The tendency is to say, I can defeat this by myself. I can get a handle on it. James 5 says that if we confess our sins, he'll heal our hearts. What are your inputs to your heart to master your feelings, to know God's promises? The fourth thing is to set your expectations and set your expectations high. I think this is where we have to understand God's word. We have to understand what he says about us at such a deep level that it's going to change things for us. Philippians 4.8 says, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What are your expectations when it comes to how people treat you and how you relate to God? How you relate to other people too. I think about one of my friends that um, he, he was a church kid. He grew up in church and he would come around every once in a while when I first started at the church. And I remember one day, he just came in and he said, man, th- things have been a wreck. My life is not what I thought it was going to be. He, he was dealing with a drug problem. He was dealing with a lot of different things. And over the next like six months, his life just had this insane turnaround. And I remember like meeting with him and just trying to like help him and be there with him and for him. And I was going, Josh, what, what are you doing that you're seeing like You were addicted to drugs and now you're not. He goes, man, I am reading God's word like four hours a day. His expectation changed. He's like, man, I'm just reading it when I wake up. I'm reading it when I eat breakfast. I'm reading it at lunch. I'm reading it at dinner. I'm reading it when I go to bed. And he was like, man, I'm, I'm, I was like, what are you, what are you reading? What version? He was like, uh, not a good reader. I was like, what is it, like the ESV? He goes, the ERV. What's that? He goes, it's the easy to read version. Well, that's great. But it started to change his mind. It started to change his heart. And it changed the way he interacted with other people and it changed his expectations of what's okay and what's not, what God's plan was for him, what his hope was for him. His expectations changed because he knew God, he knew God's heart for him. And I think one of the ways that we interact with people that we have got to be so careful of, both men and women on both sides of the coin, we have to be clear that one of the ways that we can respect and honor each other, like that story I told a little bit ago, man, you don't have to tell them your four-year plan. Honestly, that probably does more damage than good on your third date. But you can just tell them like, hey, I enjoyed today. I enjoyed tonight. I would like to do it again soon because I like you. Most people on the other side of hearing that will go, wow, 
Everybody likes to hear that someone likes them. I like to hear that someone enjoys listening to me, beans around, whatever. But if we're honest with each other and someone comes in and isn't honest and is trying to connect with us on a deep emotional level, is trying to get something from us physically, and we go, wait, hold on. I know what God expects. I know what God hopes for me and my relationships, and this is not it. It's going to change things, and you're going to go, no, 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 none of these games. I want clarity. God gives us clarity. Jesus, when he came to earth, he was this rabbi that was just doing crazy things, healing people. And he said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't mince his words. That God's heart for you is so that you would have not this restricted life of relationships, but that you would have this beautiful, incredible, deep relationships with the people around you in a way that honors God. I was reading uh, this week, and I, I, have you ever heard the term, like, you pulled out all the stops? Like, you know, if you're pulling out all the stops, you're, uh, you're making sure, like, man, if we go on the date, we're going to do everything. Like, we're going we're gonna to go, and we're going we're gonna to spend all, every money, piece of money that we, we want to spend. We're, we're going to get ice cream after the dinner. We're going to do everything. We're pulling out all the stops. I never knew where that came from, looked it up this week, and, and the analogy is that like, they had these huge, huge organs, these like, pianos that were connected to these huge pipes that had holes in them, and so that they were quiet enough for the crowd or so that they didn't use the ones they didn't mean to use, they would put in stops in certain ones so that when you were, you know, air went through it, that one was blocked off. It was a, it was a stop knob. Johann Sebastian Bach was this incredible composer, but he was also known as someone who was just an incredible player of the organ. And one of the first things that he did when he sat down at an organ was he pulled out all the stops, and then people would stand in amazement at what he could play. What God has for you when it comes to relationships is not this broken down, there's all these little rules, hey, I'm going to put a lot of stops in there so that you don't have any hope, so that you don't have any, no, 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 God wants to have a symphony for you in your relationships. He wants you to have deep relationships with the people around you. But if we go in and we say there's not going to be any boundaries to that, it's going to be hurtful. It's going to be painful. In Hebrews 12, the, the author says this, and it, it, this is incredible, and I think this puts it in such a specific light. Therefore, since we're surrounded by, by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I think there are so many ways that we go, man, I'm just going to set every weight aside. But when it comes to a relationship, we're like, I don't know, I'm, I'm just going to listen to my heart. The author here is saying, man, if it's not helping you run fast after Christ, it's going to be difficult. If there's someone that, man, you're, you're walking with God and things are going well, and they're kind of far off, and they're lukewarm in their relationship with God, and you go, man, I'm running fast, maybe I could bring them along with me, it's not going to work. The best way that it happens, if you're running full bore, full sprint towards God, and you happen to notice somebody that's walking next to you that's running that same race, you're going to see it. That person's going to be more attracted to you than any person before because why? They're running hard after their Savior. He said, let's lay aside 
every weight. But it's, it's the next verse that I love so much. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Man, we don't just run so that we live these good, squeaky clean lives. We run a race that sets weights that everybody else says, man, you gotta have that. You gotta be able to have sex before you're married. You've gotta be able to connect with someone deeply of, of the opposite sex to make sure that you're compatible. He said, man, set anything that's not essential aside so that you can run towards Jesus. No hindrances, nothing that stops you, nothing that slows you down. Look at the way that it describes Jesus. He's the founder of our faith. Are you established in who Jesus is? Did he establish your faith? And he's the perfecter. None of us in here are gonna be perfect when it comes to anything, but he's the perfecter. It might be a little step, it might be a small step, it might seem insignificant, but God's hope for you is that you would be the best picture of his love and his grace on your last day. That the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Despising the shame, is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is not just someone helping us. This is the person who's at the right hand of God. This is the person who has the power that killed death to give us life. Do you have that? Will you bow your heads? Oh, mm-hmm.